So welcome everybody. Um, we just got back from the men's retreat, so we're a little tired. We got back early this morning, um, but it was awesome. We did. We got back like a little before one. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> but it was awesome. It was a great time to get away um, and just focus on the Lord and lots of praise and worship, lots of singing, and and that was good because um, that helps. Like like this morning, it helps get my heart ready because my mind goes ten different directions all the time. Always think about something, and this gives me an opportunity, a chance to to read the words, to sing the words, and to think about what they mean and who Jesus is in our lives. And that's kind of the point of worship. And so lots of worship, um, lots of conversation, lots of going through the Bible and, and what does God call us to be as men and what does it mean to be all in. And it was awesome. It was a great time. So can't wait till next year. And that's how we feel kind of every year. Just can't wait till the next year. So it's a good time. So um, welcome. The, the Wi-Fi password if you need it. Um, the Bible app if you want to follow along on your phone. It's a great tool if you need to download that. Um, we are still doing the homeless, feeding the homeless on Wednesdays. Um, so we go out and we get some uh, reusable grocery bags. There's a church off of 9th and Calumet that sets it all up, His Love Fellowship. And they fill up oh, like 150 grocery bags, depending on the week. And we go out and we meet the homeless where they're at. We pray with them um, and just love on them. If that doesn't sound good, but maybe you want to help fill the bags beforehand, we could get you set up that way, if that's something you want to get involved in. Um, and it's every Wednesday afternoon. So, The women's study, so that is coming up here this Thursday. So that's this Thursday at 6 p.m. So I'm not sure how far the women have made it, if you're going through the introduction and chapter one, or maybe just the introduction. Um, I'm just at chapter one. <laughs> so... So maybe the, just the introduction by the time you guys all get done talking. Yeah. <laughs> so. Which is fine. So that's, that's this Thursday. Yeah, it's absolutely great. Yeah. It's this Thursday, 6 p.m. at the house. <clears throat> the rest of us will leave. And yeah. That includes you. Or are you staying? Are you? Yeah, I'm staying. Oh, you're staying? Okay. Sorry about me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, me and Joel will leave then. So. so then the men's study is the women are going through the 12 extraordinary women in the Bible. The men's study, we're going through the 12 ordinary men. And these are the men that Jesus called his, his apostles. And what does that mean? You know, I think sometimes we think that, that God used these great and mighty people in the Bible, but really he just used men like me and you. And what does that mean in our lives? And that's this Saturday here at 9 a.m., um, if you need a book, we have books, um, and we're just going to go through, we're probably just going to go through the introduction. I don't think we're going to get the introduction and chapter one done. We're not that. And then the studies are every two weeks, so it's the first, um, first and third Thursday of the month and the first and third Saturday of the month. So if you need a book, let us know. We have them here. And then... Not this Thursday, but next Thursday, we'll start the Young Adults or Youth Group. Um, and we're going to go through The Chosen, but we're going to read what does the episode we're about to watch, what does the Bible say about it, so that way you can identify this is what the Bible, this part is from the Bible, and this is the part that they added in, their creative liberties. And the, the message will be geared more towards, towards the youth. Um, 
what is it? Well, this first episode will be a good one just on how to have what your relationship with your parents looks like. Um, the world oftentimes will tell you, oh, don't tell your parents. And that's how the enemy separates you and divides you. And it's from the enemy. It's not good. So anytime somebody's telling you, oh, don't tell your parents, that's, that's not a good thing. Are you embarrassed? I do want to say, I might reach out because I just to kind of, I want to have, be able to have popcorn. On. We are getting a good response on this. Like yeah. the kids are like, seriously? So I might, I might reach out and just maybe see how many people, and honestly, adults too. Oh yeah. It's, it's super. The message would be geared. You guys geared. started it. I think it's, it's, it's good. It's a good move. It's good. Yeah, the message would be geared more towards the youth, but yeah, yeah. adults, anybody's welcome. Whether you have kids or not, you're welcome to come. But it is a time for the kids to get together and for it to be a message more focused on them and what's going on in their lives. So, so with all that, we are in the book of Romans, which we kind of got started on last week. We talked about Paul and who he was and his life. You know, he lived a life where he persecuted Christians, came against the church fiercely. Um, he was an all-in man, you could say, kind of like what we learned about this weekend, what it means to be an all-in man. Paul was all-in, all-in against the church and had his, um, met Jesus on the road to Damascus, not Demaeus. I think last week I said Demaeus a lot. That's the dyslexia coming out, <laughs> which I do screw up my words. So if you have a question at the end, don't be afraid to ask me. You won't hurt my feelings. On the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus, and now he's all in for Jesus. And it's an amazing, amazing conversion, and, and it speaks to what is capable in our lives. We can be all in for the world, and we can have that encounter with Jesus and be all in for Jesus. Um, Paul goes on to write most of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament you read was written by this man, Paul. Um, so, so God used him in a mighty way. And again, nothing special. He was a man. He was a man who was fiercely against God, and God changed his heart. Paul changed his mind, and God changed his heart. So with that, let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your son, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross, for the forgiveness in each and every one of our sins. I'm thankful that you love us, that you never leave us, you never abandon us. You're always with us just ask you to meet each one of us right where we're at. You know our thoughts. You know what we're going through. You know our heart. That you would um, meet us. That you would provide for us. That you would guide us, Lord. That you would, um, your words would be spoken here today. That our hearts would receive the message that you have for us. Lord, I just ask you to watch over each and every person in this room. That you would bless them. That you would guide them. Keep them safe, healthy, free from harm. I ask that you would help us to be a light and a witness when we go out into our community this week, that we would um, reflect your light, your love, that we would bring glory and honor to your name. And Lord, I ask that you would watch over our community, watch over our leaders, that you would bring them to come to know you, that you would watch over the leaders in our community and, and in our state and in our nation, and that we would be known for a nation that loves you, that has turned, our, turned back towards you, Jesus, I just thank you for who you are and the work that you've done. Um, and I just ask you to bring many to come to know you here in these last days. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. So, so we are in Romans chapter 1. Um, starting, we went through verse 1 last week, but we'll go through verse 1 again this week. Um, 
and we'll make it through verse 7 this week. So, um, so again, Paul's writing, and we'll get started here in verse 1, Romans 1, one. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle sent out to preach the good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son Jesus. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family life, family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Jesus Christ, God, through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bring glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in, in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So that's the area we're going to study, we're going to talk through today. Um, so there in verse 1, Paul says a slave. In the New King James, um, they translate it a bond servant. Um, this Greek word is doulos, and what it means is a voluntary servant. And the idea of a bond servant was that you were a servant to someone back then, you had owed a debt, and you paid it off, you served it, and at the end of paying that debt off, you decided, you know, this isn't too bad. I think I want to continue to serve this master, continue to serve this person. So they would commit their lives to them, and it was a, they'd take their, their ear and they'd put it on the doorpost, and they'd pierce it, they'd put an owl in it, a marking, and that meant that that marking was for that master that you served. And so it was a voluntary thing that you did. Um, when you look up the word um, bond servant in the Webster Dictionary, Webster defines it as a servant without pay. But I'm not quite sure that that's right. You know, God is our provider. He provides for everything we have. So Paul, by saying he was a bond servant, what he's saying is I willingly am going to serve Jesus. You know, all the days of my life, I'm committed to him. And, and that I trust that God's going to provide for me. Not that I have to provide for myself or Paul would have to figure anything out on his own. That God would provide for him um, and, and that God would take care of him and that he would serve God. And you see throughout Paul's life that Paul is committed to that. Paul does serve God. And when it's not easy, you know, Paul's in prison for much of his, his ministry. And, you know, being in a Roman prison back then is not like being in prison now. You know, it was not a place you wanted to be. You were Paul... Paul gives his, more of his testimony in one of his letters where he talks about how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he was beaten, how many times he was stoned. Um, once they stoned him, they thought they'd killed him, left him for dead, and he doesn't die. You know, goes, wakes up, goes, gets back up, and continues preaching. You know? I mean, so this man went through some horrible things. So to be called the, the bondservant of Jesus, Paul doesn't take that lightly. Um, and Paul is a, a man who's all in. And I, I think that's a very inspiring thing to, to read about um, and to say, not to compare ourselves, oh, I, 
I'll never be that. Um, but to pray and ask God, God, help me. Give me a heart like Paul's. Give me a heart after your own heart, God. You know, and God will meet you where you're at. You know, when we fall short, and we all do, you know, the Bible makes it clear in Romans, and we'll get to that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that puts us all on the same playing field. We've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. You know, I think sometimes we think that, oh, I'm not good enough for God can never forgive me for my sins, but that's not what Paul says. Paul says we all fall short and that God sent his son to save us all. So we're all in that same playing field. Um, so God, you know, provides for us, for our needs, and most of the time a lot of our wants, but not all of our wants. And sometimes that's where we get hung up. Oh, I want this and I don't have it. You know, where's God at now? And I think we think of it in first world problems. Um, we watched a, we watched this last week uh, a ministry called Far Reaching Ministries, and it's an amazing ministry. Um, they have lots of different things that they do all throughout the world. But one of them was in Afghanistan when the United States left. These men, ex-Special Forces men, went into Afghanistan and got many Christians out. So when the United States had abandoned them, this group of men, called by God, set up by God, went in and got people out. And it was amazing. And that's just one of the things that they do. They have um, a ministry in the Sudan where they raise up chaplains. And these chaplains, there's lots of fighting, fierce fighting in the Sudan. And these chaplains go and pray and, and bring, bring Jesus Christ into, into that part of the world. And many of them die. Many of them die in their faith. Um, so I think when we think of our first world problems, I want this, but I don't have it, or whatever it is, <laughs> We need a bigger picture, you know, how, I guess, spoiled, I could say we are, you know, where we live and, and what we've been accustomed to. And you look at the life that other people are living, other believers are living, and it's, it's horrible. It's hard to imagine. Um, so, but God does promise he, that he'll provide for us, that he's our provider. Um, and... He provides for us, and we willingly serve him. And we should be all in. We should be all in for serving him. Um, so, Paul also says here in verse 1 that he's an apostle. And we kind of covered that last week. What does that mean to be an apostle? And to be an apostle, you had to be a man, and you had to, have, you had to know Jesus physically. You had to see him. And Paul had that experience on the road to Damascus. Not Damascus. Damascus. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul had that so when he says he's an apostle now is he one of the 12 apostles that are judged in the end times I don't know is there more than, than 12 apostles yes there were and Paul makes it clear that he is one of them and has those qualifications um, to go out and lead and, and help establish God's church all across the world um, so then in verse 2 so God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Um, the good news is, is Jesus, that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And he promised that long ago. The prophets point to him. The whole Bible points to Jesus. The Old Testament points to the Messiah to come. The New Testament points to the Messiah that came in Jesus. Um, and it's just, it's amazing. You know, people want to say that, oh, men wrote the Bible. 
men may have penned the Bible, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes that clear. God makes that clear. Um, and there's just no way that it could be interwoven the way it is and perhaps some man make it up. And the, the fact that the people you read about, King David, one of the mightiest kings, and, and how his great fall he had. Well, if people are writing that about themselves, they're not going to, or writing that about one of their heroes, they're not going to bring that up. You know, Nobody wants to talk about their failures. Look at social media. Nobody talks about their failures. Everybody just talks about the good things. So if the Bible was written by men, you wouldn't see all the failures that happened. And, and that's why another reason you know that, that God wrote that. But to get the perspective of, of God laying out the plan for his son Jesus, let's go to Genesis 3, verse 15. So early on, God lays out his plan and makes it clear to us. And that's kind of what we want to go through, um, go through here. So at this point, God had created the world, and everything in the world was good. All of creation is good, God says. Um, he's created the world. Adam and Eve are there They're to take, over the, take care of the world, to care for it. Um, and, and now we'll pick it up here in chapter 3, verse 1, where the, the serpent comes in and tempts Eve. So here in verse 1, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. The Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course not. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So right away, the way the enemy works is, did God really say? He puts that seed of doubt in your mind. Did God really say this? Is this really bad? Is this really sin? Am I really not doing what I'm supposed to? And, and he puts that seed of doubt in Eve's mind. And Eve comes back, oh no, that's not what God said. This is what God said. But even then, she doesn't say it right. She says that God said we must not eat it of it or even touch it. Well, God never said that. So even then, she still isn't saying it right. And that's, that's why the Word of God, that's why getting in the Bible every day and, and spending time with God in His Word is so important. We need to know what, what does God's Word say. Because the enemy still attacks us today in the same way. Did God really say that? Are you sure? Do you, do you, is this really that bad? Look at all the other people that are doing it. If everybody else is doing it, it must be okay, right? No, God's Word says different. Um, so let's go back to Genesis 2.15 and see what did God really say. So at this point, we're going back and we just want to see when God instructs the men, instructs Adam what to eat, what he can and can't do. Let's see what he says here. So here, picking it up in chapter 2, verse, verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are surely to die. So if you eat its fruit, not if you touch it, if you eat its fruit. Um, 
so like I said, the enemy wants to, did God really say? And Eve didn't really know what God said, knew part of what God said, but we tend to add to what God said. Well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't eat it, but I definitely I shouldn't even touch it either. That's sin too. Well, that's not, that's not right. And that's where the Israelites started down the Jews. They added all these, God gave them the law, and the law is very extensive, and then they added all their own laws, and that became religion. And that became a step between God and man, and a step that we don't want. You know, we don't want religion. Religion is something organized. We want a relationship with Jesus. And what that does is that puts something between our, ourselves and God, that religion. Oh, to come to God, you have to do this, this, and this. To be saved, you have to accept Jesus and be baptized and receive this and receive that, First Communion, whatever it is. And that's not true. What the Bible says is to be saved, you must receive Jesus. Baptism isn't part of it. Um, communion isn't part of it. You just need to receive Jesus. We've been over this. Romans ten nine. Believe in your in your believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that makes it clear. And in, I think that brings up some questions for some of us, especially people like me who, who grew up in the church, in the Catholic Church. Well, I'm pretty sure I have to be baptized to be saved. And the way I would explain that to you is when you look at when Jesus died, there were two thieves next to him. One that that mocked him and another that said, Lord, receive me into your kingdom. You know, let me come with you into paradise. And that was it. That was his prayer of salvation. I want to be with you in paradise. And Jesus said, today you will. And so there was no baptism that took place. There was nothing else. It was just in his heart. He received Jesus and he was saved. And that's it. So when we start adding to God's word, well, now we've created this other layer that's not supposed to be there. We don't have that that direct relationship with God. Um, growing up in the Catholic Church, um, there's going to be lots of Catholic people in heaven. I'm quite convinced of that. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but it was never where I had a relationship with Him. You know, that was always separated, um, and and I never just never understood that, and never probably wanted to. At that point in my life, I want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing. You know, I, I got this handle, God. I don't. I don't need you. I definitely not all in. <laughs> And I should have been. At any point, I could have turned that around. My life didn't have to hit rock bottom for that to happen. It could have happened at any point in my life. Um, so Eve is tempted. She eats the fruit. She gives it to Adam, who was with her. Um, he eats. And now sin has entered mankind. And forever our world has changed. And I think sometimes we think, oh, you know, if I had been there, I wouldn't have eaten. No, we absolutely would have. Every single one of us. There's not one of us here that hasn't sinned. God made that clear in Romans. All have sinned and, and are separated from God. So, um, so the first thing they do is they, as soon as they eat, they realize that they're, they're naked and they're ashamed. Um, and so they, they go and, and sew their fig leaves together and, and cover themselves up. Um, and, and to me, just reading through that this week, that just speaks to me of you have a lot of people that have body image complications. Oh, if my body looked like this, if my body looked like that. Well, when God created Adam and Eve, it was good. And when God, something is good from God, it's perfection. What God creates is perfect. He doesn't create imperfections. There's no evil. There's no sin in God. So God creates these two man, this man and this woman, these two people, and they're perfect. And now all of a sudden they have a body image problem. 
So I think people think, well, if I had this body, if I look like this, I'd be happy. No, no. These two were perfect and they still weren't happy. They were naked and ashamed. They were ashamed of what they look like. And I think so many times society wants to, you need to look a certain way. You know, you have all this, all this propaganda that's out there, especially for girls, you know, and for women. This is how you should look. This is how you should dress. You know, if you do this, you know, things will go well. And it's all a lie. It was a lie back then. You know, these two weren't happy. Sin had entered into their lives. Satan had, um, had twisted God's word and had now given them this self-doubt. Um, so two perfect people still not happy with their perfect bodies. So we want to, I know we're in Romans, but I do want to go through this. And what does God say? And, and this is kind of what we talked about this weekend. You know, we can choose to, to believe God. We can fight for that. Or we can choose to be ineffective and believe what the enemy says about us. And, and we can't lose our salvation. He never takes that away. He never leaves us or abandons us, but he can make us ineffective where we don't serve him well, where we don't represent him well. Um, so that's kind of where we want to go through here. Um, sometimes I get a little ahead of my notes, a little ahead of myself. That's usually a problem in my life, right? I get out ahead, get too, going too fast. Um, so the enemy, we'll talk about the enemy. So the, the enemy is a threefold enemy. We have our own sinful nature, that, that our own desire to sin. I mean, we're, nat- I think, naturally attracted to doing what we shouldn't do. Um, and then we have the world. The world is the enemy. The world influences us and tells us all the things that we need to do. And it's all lies. And then you have the demonic realm. You have Satan and his demons. It's a threefold enemy. Our sinful nature, the world... And that demonic realm. And let's go to to Revelation 12, verse 7. So Revelation 12, 7. So God's going to make it clear who the enemy is and what Satan does. So we'll pick it up here in verse 7. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, or the accuser of our brothers and sisters, has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night. So Satan is the one that's deceiving the whole world. We just read that. And he accuses us day and night. Now some of his accusations are correct. Some of the things we've done, we've fallen short, we've sinned. And what do we do? We ask for repentance. We once believed this way. We decided that that's not the way we want to live. God, I want to live for you. We do an about face and we go the opposite direction. And that's what happens. But some of his accusations are unsubstantiated. Some of them are not true. He accuses us, but that's not who we are. That's not what we are. 
you know, and God defines who we are and what we are. And where he defines that, we'll start through there. Let's go to Romans 8, 31. Um, see, we have a choice here, just like, just like Eve had a choice. Satan comes to Eve and says, did God really say this? You should do this to tempt her. And what could Eve have done at that point? Well, Eve, at that point, Adam and Eve are walking with God throughout the day in the garden. She could have waited and consulted God. God, the serpent said this. Is that true? And that we always have that choice. God, the, the enemy's telling me this. My mind is telling me this. Is that true? Is that who I am? And when we want to know, we can go back to his word and see who does God say we are. And it's, it's very important. So we'll pick that up in Romans 8, 31. So Romans 8, 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. So Jesus is pleading for us, so that Satan is is accusing us, is out there telling God all these things, this, that, and the other. And you can read about that in the book of Job. This kind of gives you a, a lot clearer picture of what happens. Um, but Jesus is right there. Jesus is our defense attorney. What better defense attorney can you ever have than Jesus himself? Who knows you better than Jesus? Jesus knows how many hairs are on your head. And you think about that, you brush your hair, well, you just lost a few, and he's got them all numbered. He knows that. He knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. There's no hiding from him. He knows who you are. So who better to defend you than Jesus himself? Um, And that's what he does for us. So while the, the enemy can accuse us, You'll never be good enough. You'll never be pretty enough. You'll never be smart enough. You'll never be good enough um, for this person. You'll never be successful. You'll never do this right. You'll never do that right. That's fine. He can accuse all he wants. And we can choose to believe that, or we can choose to believe that Jesus has chosen us, has called us for a purpose, and has a plan for our lives. Um, there There is no equal... There's no yin and yang. You, you hear that in, in, in Chinese culture. This yin and yang, this equal force of good and evil. That's not true. There is no equal force. There's God and there's everything else. Jesus and Satan are not on the same playing field. They're not equally powerful. Jesus is all powerful. Some people see where a third of the angels left heaven and get worried, well, a third of them are gone. Well, even if they all left, God is still more powerful. God doesn't need any of them. He's God created the angels. God created all of them. He's more powerful than they are. He's more powerful than his creation. So there is no equal yin and yang, equal good and evil. There's God, all-powerful, and there's everything else. 
Um, so we'll continue reading here in 835. So can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us, who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God makes it very clear. There's nothing that can separate us. That he loves us no matter what. That the accuser, the accusations that they make, are un, unfounded at times and untrue. And the ones that are true, we ask for forgiveness and we're forgiven. The Bible makes it clear. He casts our sins as far away as the east is from the west. He never brings them up again. It's not like, like we do as humans where I forgive someone, but if they make me mad again or another situation comes up, I'm going to bring that, that old thing back up. It doesn't happen that way with God. He never brings it up again. It's forgiven. And that's how we're supposed to forgive. We're not supposed to bring it up either. He sets that example for us. And it's our choice to follow that or not. Um, But he makes it clear that nothing can separate us from him. He never leaves us, ever. Um, And the enemy can't take us from him. The enemy can't. We can't lose our salvation. We can't be taken away from God. But the enemy can make us ineffective. Where we're not an effective Christian. Where we're not being a light and a witness where we're not leading other people to Jesus. Because one, we don't think we're good enough. Oh, I, I don't know the Bible well enough. You know, I, I couldn't pray with someone else. You know, I, I couldn't do this. You can't do that. All these things that you can't do and are untrue. You absolutely can go pray with someone. And what is prayer? Prayer is just a conversation with God. God, please help this person. Please meet them where they're at. Help them um, through this tough time they're going through. Anyone can say that. You absolutely can. It's whether you choose to believe the enemy who's accusing you or to believe God. And that's what it comes down to. Um, I do believe that the the Bible and God is very black and white. You're for God or you're against God. The Bible makes that clear. So there is no neutral ground. Um, No, I'm a good person. That doesn't work that way. So... um, So again, we have the opportunity to take God at his word, that we're his precious children. Um, we are exactly who he made us to be. He made us for a reason. Um, so I look at Moses. Moses got called to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. So the Israelites end up in Egypt and they end up enslaved. Um, and, and God calls Moses, Moses, go free my people. And what does Moses say to God? Well, I can't speak very well. I, there's no way I can do this. Now, could Moses have done that? Absolutely. Because he could ask God for help. But he doubts himself. The enemy's accusing him. Moses, you can't do that. There's no way. So God comes alongside Moses. Okay, I'll give you Aaron, your brother. 
he can be your spokesman. You know, God meets him where he's at. And could that have been God's plan all along? Sure. Um, or could God have, have healed Moses from his speech impediment? Absolutely. Could God have had another plan? And could Moses have choose, chosen to have faith in that? That, okay, God, if you've called me to this, if you say I am this, I believe you. I believe you at your word. And absolutely he could have. And we have that same choice too. Okay, God, I believe I am who you say I am. I'm chosen. I have a purpose in my life. You've called me for that. Or we can choose to believe the enemy. So, um, so going back to the, to the garden um, and to Eve, she has a choice. And, and like I said earlier, she could choose to listen to the enemy or she is walking with God in close fellowship in the garden. Could she have chosen to go to him and say, God, this is what the enemy says. This is what um, the serpent says. This is what Satan says. Is this true? How should I handle this? And that's what we're to do. We're to go to God with our decisions. When something comes up, how should I handle this, God? Now, there's times when the Bible makes it clear how should we handle it. You know, should I love my neighbor? Absolutely, I should love my neighbor. Should I be a light and a witness? Absolutely, I should. Um, but when something comes up and we're struggling, can we go to God? God, I struggle with this temptation. I struggle with anger. I struggle with doubt. I struggle with fear. Can you help me? Can you meet me where I'm at? And he will. And he does every time. So they hear God. Um, going back to Adam and Eve. They hear God walking in the garden. They go and they hide from him. Um, because now they, they're afraid of God. You know, We studied a while ago that we're to obey human authority. And when we do, there's no fear unless we're doing something wrong. And there was no fear when they were walking with God, but now they've done something wrong. Now sin has entered in and now they're afraid of God. So we can live with God in awe and and all amazing of who he is, or we can live in fear. And I'd say that was one of the greatest things about becoming a Christian was that I no longer had to look over my shoulder. I had nothing left to hide. You know, everything was out and, and, in the open and, and life was, was moving on. There was no looking back. And that's what God offers us. He offers us that no hiding, no more being afraid of who we are or who we have been. He offers us a new life. Um, so now we kind of got off on a rabbit trail, but to get back to where God points out Jesus, he was going to send his son in the beginning, in Genesis. Let's go to to Genesis 3, verse 14. We got off on a little trail, but I think it's important. I think, like I said, just reading through that, they were naked and afraid and, and thinking of how many people think, oh, if, I, if I'd only been this or if my life was only this, it would be better, it would be different. If I only looked like this, I would be happy. But it's a lie, and it's a lie from the enemy. God calls us to be happy with who we are in the circumstance and the situation that we're in right now, and that we can trust in him, and that he comes alongside of us, that he'll fill us, that he will guide us. Um, so Genesis three fourteen. So they've hidden in the garden. Um, now God has called them, you know, what, are you, what have you done? You know, what, why are you guys hiding? Who told you you were naked? Um, and not that God didn't know. He just wanted them to, to hear it for themselves. And, and sometimes when we confess what we've done, 
then we realize that we've sinned, that we've separated ourselves from God. And that's where they find themselves at. So we pick it up here in verse 14, and this is where God um, lays out what the punishments are going to be. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So we're reading this in the New King James, and I think it's important because of the word seed there. So the word seed is capitalized. So women don't have seed. Women have eggs. Men have seed. So what this speaks of early on, so in the beginning, God lays out his plan of salvation for the world. His plan that there would be a virgin birth, that he would send his son to die for our sins. Like I say, women don't have seed. So when it talks about, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, the enemy's seed, and her seed, that speaks of the virgin birth. Women have eggs, men have seeds. So the only way that she has a seed is that God God put that in her. And that's what we read about. God, through the Holy Spirit, filled Jesus, put Jesus in Mary, and was born to be fully human and fully God. So right away, in Genesis, in the beginning, God lays out his plan for us. That her seed, that he would bruise the enemy's head, and that the enemy would bruise his heel. And that just speaks that ultimately that the, the bruising of the head, the blow to the head would be a death blow and the blow to the heel would be, um, would not be a death blow, would be more of an annoyance. So, so God spells out, you know, right here for us in the beginning. And that's what I mean when I say the whole, all the Old Testament points to Jesus. There's so many things like this that point to Jesus, the Messiah to come. Um, so... So now, getting back to Romans, um, verse chapter 1, let's go to verse 3. So, we just talked about Jesus being fully God and fully man, and Paul lays that out. So Paul writes this letter to Romans, and in the beginning here, he spells out and lays out who Jesus is. Here in verse 3, he spells out that Jesus would be born a man into King David's family line. So Jesus is fully human. And then in verse 4, that he is fully God, that he is God's son. And the evidence of that is the power that God raised him from the dead. So we kind of went through that um, here just recently with Resurrection Day. That the, the greatest news, the evidence that Jesus really was the son of God is that death couldn't hold him. He lived a perfect, sinless life and that God raised him from the dead. Um, and that God proved that. God proved who he was by that that bodily resurrection, and that's why it's so important, the bodily resurrection of who Jesus is. Fully God, fully man, sacrificed himself willingly for our sins. Um, so then we get to verse 5, through Christ. Um, and through Christ, Paul's going to spell out who he is and the authority that he has. But through Christ, we can speak of the work Jesus has done in our lives. I once lived this way, but now I live another way. Um, and that's only because of the work Jesus did. For me, I once lived a sinner's life, and now I live the opposite. 
Not because of me, because of Jesus. I changed my mind on how I want to live, and God changed my heart. And that's how it works. We change our mind, pray, ask God for help, and he changes our hearts. He meets us where we're at. He doesn't leave us where we are, but he makes us anew. Um, and Paul writes this letter, he says to the, to the Gentiles there in verse 5, and he still is today. We are all Gentiles, and he's still speaking to us. So Paul is still reaching the Gentiles today through his letter. God's hand is still being, um, God is still using Paul. So let's go to Romans ten thirteen. Um, I want to talk through what it means to be in Christ and through Christ and what Jesus has done in our lives. So, so Romans ten thirteen, and we don't you don't have to go to all these verses. Um, there'll be three of them that we'll go through, and I'll put them up on the screen. So Romans ten thirteen for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. All who call the name of the Lord. God sent his son for all. Not for a certain few, for all. And everyone who calls on him will be saved. That thief on the cross was saved. He called on the name of the Lord. Not Jesus plus anything else. Jesus alone, you will be saved. In 2 Corinthians, we read um, in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And that's exactly what that means. We once lived this way and now we live a different way. We are made new. Um, and we further get an explanation of that in 2 Timothy 1.9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain for us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death that he broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. So the good news, that's the good news. Jesus came and died. If we receive him, we're made new. We're a new creation in Christ. So now, to finish off here in Romans, we'll, we'll take a look here at what verse 7 says. Um, so I am writing to you, I'm writing to all of you in Rome, who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now I think it's interesting how Paul puts grace and peace, and he puts grace first. So what is grace? Grace is unearned favor. We deserve, for our sin, we deserve death. That's what the law says. It makes it clear. But instead of receiving death, we receive eternal life. We receive rewards and an inheritance with Christ. Well, we didn't do anything to deserve that. That's an unearned gift, an unearned favor. Um, and peace. Peace here means every good wish. So every good thing that can be upon you um, is what peace is. So grace is not getting what we deserved, but instead receiving a gift. Um, mercy would be not getting what we deserved. We deserve a punishment. I got a speeding ticket. I deserve to pay the fine. 
And mercy is, no, we'll wipe that slate clean. So I'm a sinner, I've sinned, but Jesus says, no, we'll wipe that clean. That's my mercy. And my grace is, I'm going to go one step further and I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you an inheritance with me. Um, so we don't deserve. We do, we do deserve death. Um, so, and why is grace first before peace? Because you must receive Jesus. That's step number one. You must receive that unearned gift, that gift of salvation. Um, and then for peace, let's go to John fourteen twenty seven. So John fourteen twenty seven. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So the peace that God gives is a gift. He makes that clear. And it's our choice to receive that. We can receive his son. And then when we receive his son, we can receive his peace that comes with it. Um, and it's not like the world's peace. Oh, the world's peace is an absence from fighting. God's peace is a peace amongst the chaos. So we can be going through troubled times, hard times in life. You've lost your job. You're, things have gone wrong at the house. You're struggling in your marriage. Um, and, and we can choose to trust God and believe that he'll give us peace through that somehow, some way. You know, you read about... We were talking earlier about the, the Christians in the Sudan, and there's just some very intense things that go on over there um, where just you think to yourself, or at least I think to myself, God, I don't know if I could ever do that. I don't know if you ever put me in that situation, if I could ever handle that. And I think if you ever talked to those people 10 years ago, they'd probably tell you the same thing. There's no way I could handle going through what I went through you know, just some awful things, you know, their children being murdered, things like that in the name of Jesus. If you, if you don't denounce Jesus, if you don't say that he's not real, we're going to murder your family and they don't do it and their family gets murdered. How could you go through that? And, and I would say to you, that's this gift here. That's this gift of peace, that it doesn't make it easy, but God gives them a peace to go through that, to walk through that um, in his strength. And that's a lot of our problem. We want to focus on our own strength. I'll handle this, but we can't. And, and God's right there. And all we have to do is ask him for his strength, for, for his power, for him to guide us through this. And he does. He'll take us through whatever it is we're going through. We've talked about this recently. You know, that we would pray, God, please just take this away from us. You know, help us get past this. But that's not what we should be praying. God, help us get through this. There's a lesson for us to learn, and, and it's not an easy one, but I don't want to go through this again. Help me to learn the lesson and to grow closer to you. And that's what God calls us to. Um, we're his children, and he has us in the palm of his hand. We're safe. But the enemy wants to deceive and accuse us and tell us that we're not. And it's our choice to believe God at his word. He says that we're in his hand and he holds us safe, or to believe that the enemy is that we are who the enemy says we are. And we can choose that. Um, it's our choice to choose to, to live for God or to be ineffective and believe the lies that the enemy says about us. So, so with all that, um, today, Marie, you pay attention.
Today we're going to do communion. It's the first Sunday of the month. So Kennedy, do you have it ready? You can help with that. So we have both gluten-free and the regular, the leaded. So the stuff that's got the gluten in it. The leaded. So, so if you need gluten-free, just let Kennedy know. Um, we want to take communion. And we want to do this, we're told to do this in remembrance of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Um, so as they're handing that out, what this is 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 the, the juice represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us when he died on the cross. And the, the bread represents his broken body. And we do this to remember him, to remember his sacrifice. Um, but we're told to, to come to him in prayer and examine ourselves. You know, God, I've sinned, I've fallen short, please forgive me in this area of my life or whatever it is. And he's quick to forgive. And we're to do that before we take communion. That um, We're just to, to come before him and who we are broken, afraid, um, fearful, um, unbelieving, sinful, all of that. We're to bring that before him. God, please forgive me for this. Please give me strength to be who you've called me to be. Um, and once we've done that, we spend some time in prayer, one-on-one with God, and then we take the, the juice and we, we take the bread and we eat it in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Now, we'd like to, to pray as a family um, because I do think that's important. It's very important for men to lead, um, not because we're better at it, <laughs> because we're not, but because that's the way God made it. And it's not something that comes natural to, to pray with our spouses. It's not something that comes easy, but it's something that comes like anything else with practice. And it's one step at a time, and it can be a short prayer. God, please watch over our family. And all of us can say that. And when we say that, and we pray that over our family, and then God begins to use us and begins to, to, to grow our prayers for our family. But we should be praying for our families, for each other, um, after we've examined ourselves and, asked, and gotten in right, right relationship with God. So, so we'll take a few moments um, to do that. Um, we'll just spend some time in prayer, and then you get free to, to drink the, the juice and eat the bread when you guys are ready. But that's kind of what communion is. It's for us to remember God, to, to get in right relationship with him, and then to, to be in unity with our family and with other believers. So, so if you're not here with your family, you can pray with your friends who are next to you or, or anyone around you. There's no right or wrong way to pray. It's just a conversation with God. God, please help me. As simple as that. So we'll spend some time. Do you want us to wait and take it together? Nope. Take it you can take it all individually. Wow. Yep. Does that work? Yeah. So.
while you guys finish up, um, it probably would have been nice if we had like some music playing at, during that moment, but we're learning. So that was probably one of the things that was on my art this weekend is um, just not falling into what the enemy says I am. Oh, Matt, you can't do this. You, you can't, you can, can't, you can't lead a church. You can't teach up my word. Um, you know, that's all lies from the enemy and just to choose not to believe those. So that's, I don't know, something I struggle with for sure. So, so this, <laughs> preparing this was more for me um, this weekend than probably ever has been. And I think that's amazing. And I'm thankful for the work that God has done in my life and who he has called me to be. Um, and, and I would encourage you to each take time this weekend to do the same. Um, be thankful for who God has made you and, and believe in who he has called you to be. And, and that's to be a light and a witness to him, to lead our families, not by what we say, but by our actions and by how we live our lives. Um, and that's for each and every one of us. And it's one step at a time and it's not a, a quick thing, but over time, God begins to establish who we are and, and set that example for our children, for our friends, for our families. So, so with that, before we sing our last song, we'll open it up. If anybody's got any questions or comments, um, prayer requests, if you have something we want to, you want us to be praying for, um, we pray for it right here, right now. Um, and if it's something you, you want to bring up later or something during the week, just text us and we'll be praying for you. Um, and if you'd like to be part of the group that's praying for other people, um, let us know. And when those texts come in, we'll text them to you. And, and you can be praying for, for your family right here. So, um, any questions? Forrest? So, verse 1 of Romans, uh, he talks about the Holy Scriptures. Yes. Is that the Ten Commandments, or is that... The Old Testament. The Old Testament. It's just the Old Testament. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the holy scriptures to them back then. Was the Old Testament. So, so in the in the entire Old Testament, specifically in verse one, he's talking about the prophets of the holy scriptures. That the prophets were all pointing to Jesus. Um, yep. All the prophets were, you know, starting back with Abel. The Bible says that Abel was the the first prophet. So, so they all pointed to Jesus. Um, and sometimes we get to read exactly what they were saying. And, and I think with Abel, I think it's when we get to heaven, we're going to get to see, go see the replays and go see some of the other things that happened. You know, how was Abel a prophet? Um, so, and how was he pointing towards Jesus? And, and I think one thing you can say for Abel is he was, he was giving the sacrifice, the first fruits. And that's what Jesus was. Jesus was the first fruits into heaven. The first, so Jesus dies and the Apostles' Creed says that he goes, goes down into hell, which I don't believe that. And I believe that the Bible makes that clear, that Jesus dies. And, and in the center of the earth is, is the place of the dead. And it's separated. There's a, Jesus tells us it's separated by a big chasm, the righteous dead and the unrighteous dead, Abraham's bosom and Hades. And, and there's a story, and we know it's not a parable because he uses a name. He uses the man's name the poor man's name Lazarus. So in parables, he doesn't use names. And parables are stories meant to teach a lesson. So Lazarus is separated from the rich man. 
and Lazarus is in the Abraham's bosom, the righteous dead, and, and the rich man is in the, the place of the unrighteous dead. And so what Jesus did when he died is he went down to set the captives free. So he had all the righteous dead there, but the first to rise into heaven was Jesus. So he was the first fruit, and the captives followed behind him. So I'm not sure how we got on that talk, but, but that was, I think that's part of how Abel was, was pointing to Jesus, was through his sacrifice of the first fruits of his harvest. So did I answer your question? And so... I don't know where I, I was going to just make a comment. We got on a rabbit trail, and then I, I, I don't know where I ended up here. But um, we're uh, I think getting back to um, going through the first what we read today. And I, I don't. I, sometimes I don't know how I end up, but you'll say something, and then I'll go to something else. But I did want to say just there, there. Um, Faith brings joy, and um, that's where it went right there in Romans, still in Romans, and I don't know how, but I wanted to read something. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strength strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So, I don't know where I, but I, I don't know, I, that, but I just wanted to say oh, yeah. somewhere I got lost in where you were at, and I was like, oh. Yep. And we talked about that this weekend, loss. A lot of times we don't grow unless we've lost something, you know, or there's been some pain or some hurt in our lives. Um, does that the way it has to be? No. But usually when things are going good in my life, I'm not looking to God as much. You know, I'm not praying. I may be still praying, but I'm not praying as earnestly as, as with as much God, please help me as, as I am when I'm going through the tough times. And that is when I grow the most. And it's and it's not easy and it's not fun. But like you just read, it produces that endurance that you can continue to to walk. And it, it gives you that um the, I've already been through this. I, I know this. I'm going to trust in God. He's got this. He, he had this last time and he has this this time. That kind of reassurance. Yeah, I think probably where, I, now that you said that, probably what I tend to do, being very transparent, I really rely on myself. So. Oh, I was yeah. just going to say that. <laughs> Especially with what our family is going through right now. I think we all lose focus. Yeah. And oh, yeah. we um, forget that, and all of us, not just my family, but everyone, but we're, we're losing our focus. And I think even chatting back and forth this morning, yep. the text was that we're, we're forgetting that God already has this handled. Right. <laughs> Day number one. And yep. why are we taking all of this on our shoulders? and? Yeah. We're not focusing on who really is in charge. Yep. That's exactly what I think we tend to do. We, we um, for me recently, it's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not reading like I should be, blah, 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 blah. You name it, that's where it's at. Because I tend to say, I'm going to handle it all. Yep. And then just like I was saying, the distraction is right? the evil one pulling us away from that 
-huh. It's the distraction and the delusion that I guess we can handle. Mm -hmm. yeah. When we went through the disciple books, do you remember, I think it was Charles Spurgeon that had said, I have so much to do today, there's no way I can get through it without spending at least three hours in prayer. You know, and, and to put that in perspective, I'm sure he was a busy person just like we all are, our lives are full. And, and he was making a bold statement saying, if I don't spend a substantial amount of time with God here this morning, there's no way I'm gonna get everything done. Um, and I think through that, like, like you said, God has this handled. So there was a story here just recently that the church the Calvary Castle Rock is building a new building and they just got started breaking ground and the, the contractor is out there and he's digging dirt and he gets in a, an area they were supposed to leave a 30 foot undisturbed area between the neighbors and the, the new building and they go and they they uh, tear out some of the bushes there and so now they're in big trouble you know and they shut down the project and the city says well this was, we approved your project, but those scrub oak bushes had to stay and now they're not. And we're not sure if you can continue your project now. And it became this huge deal. And, and so you have that moment there where you can panic. Oh, I, I need to go find a lawyer. I need to go do this. I, I need to do this. Or you can choose, okay, God, somehow you have a plan. We'll trust that. And what ended up happening was they ended up working through that with the neighbors. They had to go meet with those three neighbors. The neighbors were happy with the bushes being gone anyways. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, not only did they, in that two, I think it was a three-week time period, they found someone to take their dirt, which saved them like $250,000 on their building project, you know. So God had a plan, even though they didn't see it at the time, and even though things in our lives happen where we don't see it, God it, it I don't know how you, I don't know how you are going to get us out of this mess. You know, just recently I can remember thinking that. You know, God, I don't know how you're going to get us out of this mess, but I did have a song in my heart that you know I don't know how you'll make a way, but I know you will. And we have that choice to, like you said, take it in our own hands. I'm going to hire a lawyer. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. Or okay, God, I'm, I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go read your word. And I'm going to trust that somehow you have a plan. You've never left me, you've never abandoned me, and you've always provided for me. And it's, hard, and it's not easy. But that's the, ex the thing about faith. It's like a muscle. The more you use it, the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. And it's, and it's not something that happens overnight. It happens over time. And that's that endurance that you were reading about. Yeah. But I just, yeah, I just being very transparent, I just, and I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't want anybody to feel like it's abnormal to say, because somebody said, well, you should stop and pray. I'm like, that is not the first thing I do. <laughs> it's absolutely not the first thing I do. It's yeah. just, it doesn't happen that way. So now I'm like, oh my gosh. If you just stop, you know, like if there's a fire, you say stop, drop, and roll. Well, now it's like stop, pray. So just throwing it out there because my, my, for my own self, that's, I tend to rely on myself. As I think most of us do. Yeah, for sure. Anybody else have any more questions or comments or prayer requests? Yeah. Sorry. You you only allowed one. I'm kidding. Earlier you said something about adding to the law. I think is what you had said. Is that like adding traditions? Yes. Is that what what you're referring to? Yep. Traditions that aren't biblical. Yep. What's good? 
Uh, so like a, a good example, and Jesus made this clear with the, with the religious leaders. They had this ceremonial hand-washing thing. Well, this is what you're supposed to do. Well, that wasn't, that's not in the law. That's not in God's law. That was something they added in. And they were upset with Jesus' followers saying, your, your guys don't, don't perform the ceremonial hand-washing. And Jesus made it clear to them, that's a man-made tradition. That's your religious tradition, not God's. So what would you say a tradition is we do now? That I, would be... I think many churches have many traditions. Um, well, kind of like the guy this weekend that gets up and, and says, you know, I'm, a, I'm Catholic and, and that's how I, I am and, and, and who I am. Well, no, that's not who we are. We're children of God. We're... we're Jesus' special possession, you know, we're not a religion. Does that make sense? We're a child of God. Um, and, the, and people get hard on that. Religious traditions become very important. You know, I'm this because my family was always this. And that's a lie from the enemy too, you know, because it goes the other way. It goes, I'm an alcoholic because my family's an alcoholic. No, you're an alcoholic because you choose to drink, and that's a sin. And the enemy says you're this and you're believing it. But God says you're not. And God says that he can set you free from all those sins. So it's choosing to believe the enemy or to believe God. I mean, there's, yeah, definitely man-made traditions. Now, to say that it's not that religious organizations are bad, you know, for us here, we want to be a part of, of the Calvary Chapel denomination and that's and God made that clear. He brought he brought a man from from a Presbyterian church to speak to me about that in a way that only God can do. But the reason for that is is the accountability structure. You have a, an accountability board or someone set up that you know. Hey, who's listening to what this guy's teaching? Who's paying attention to how they're handling things? Is this right? Because the enemy can easily deceive and does deceive many pastors into leading incorrectly or or doing something they shouldn't be doing. And you need that accountability. And that's part of what a, real, a structure, an organized structure does. So being part of the Calvary Chapel, they can help establish that. This is your group of, of accountability board that they're going to oversee what you're doing and how you're handling things. And that's important too, you know, being accountable. Because I, be, I want to be accountable and be held accountable. So not all religious structures are bad, but when it becomes tradition over Jesus, when that becomes more important, and that's what those religious leaders were saying. Hey, your disciples are more worried about you than, than following our ceremonial cleansing. Now you've caused a problem. Anything else? Yes. I think a good example, referring to what he was asking is, um, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, there are some religions that say if you're not speaking in tongues that you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, but the Bible clearly states that that's not true. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where people can get off the rails, especially as pastors and leaders, without that balance. Um, so we grew up in the Catholic Church, and then our fa- my parents ended up at a, a non-denominational church, but they were very hyper-apostolic um, and believed heavily in the gifts of the speaking in tongues. And it was, and it was weird. And God doesn't do weird. Um, and, 
And that's the same thing like what you're saying, where it, it became, it wasn't focused on God anymore and Jesus. It was more focused on this gifts and who was doing it. And, and that was one of the great things about one getting connected in Calvary Chapel and going through the word, you know, verse by verse. Well, what does God say about speaking in tongues? And God says that if you're going to desire a gift, you should desire the gift of prophecy. That's the most desirable gift, not tongues, you know. And the gift of tongues was, um, so in that church setting, you had a teacher who was, should have the gift of teaching to teach the people, and then you'd have somebody in the middle of service speak in tongues. Well, that's another gift. And then somebody over here with the gift of interpretation, well, God's not going to interrupt himself, you know. So that was, and that's just wrong, and that's, yes. And with the interpretation, a lot of times it'd be, well, God says this. Well, that's not how tongues works. Tongues is edifying God. You're praising God in a language you don't know. So it's never a message coming down to us. So, so that's the whole thing was, was all um, wrong. And the Bible warns about that. There's going to be many false teachers and false prophets and people that are going to lead you astray. And why do they do that? Well, for pride. Well, look at me. I, I've been anointed with this gift. And there's nothing, never any point does God give us a gift that's uncontrollable. We do know people that speak in tongues, but they can speak in tongues or they can't. It's never, I'm out of control. God took over my body. That does not happen ever. That's not the way it works. So, but, oh, these are all good, good comments. Good job, boys. Anything else? I got nothing. Okay. Although you did kind of do a spoiler alert right on the first chapter of my book. Did I? Yeah. I'm not through the book. It's fine. We're, just, we're still getting together. Is that what the book said about the body image thing? Oh yeah, and Eve, who God made, and it was good, so she's got this perfect body and still isn't happy with it, you know. And same for Adam; he has this perfect body and still, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of what God's given me. So, no matter, I think we tend to think, oh, if I look like this, or if I had this money, or if I did this, I'd be happy. No, it's all a lie, and it's all from the enemy. You can see after sin enters into them that their outlook on life changes, and it does for us too. one last song if you do have suggestions like we're trying to think through maybe once a month we do like lunch after church or something but if you guys have suggestions or things you want to do or want to see just let us know this is the church that's all of us we all have a role to play as we figure this out so okay we'll sing one last song